As you know, Modern Manhood is supported by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. And I also want you to check out some of the shows on the APN because there's some really good stuff out there. For example, take Press Start to Join, a weekly show about all things video games and nerdy things and Dungeons and Dragons and a lot of other stuff. It's hosted by, let me get this straight, Alan or Al Ann or something like that. I'm kidding. I'm just making fun because they attempted to say my name on their show and it was, uh, I don't even know, but I don't even know how to do this, <laughs> which is fine. I get this all the time. And to be honest, Alan and Josh are actually pretty awesome people. So go check out all their podcasts, which includes Press Start to Join. Also, the APN is hosting Doug Hoyer on March 17th. Specifically for listeners of Modern Manhood, you can get five bucks off the ticket price by using the code APN rocks. So A-P-N-R-O-C-K-S. I will put the link on the show notes. So if you want to head down to CKUA and have a good time on St. Patrick's Day without getting bad green beer, do that. It's, it sounds like a good time. You can find that as well as Press Start to Join and all the awesome podcasts in the Alberta Podcast Network at albertapodcastnetwork.com. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Modern Manhood, presented by Next Gen Men, an exploration of modern masculinity and the way it shapes us in the modern world. I'm your host, Herman Vijayas. Modern Manhood is part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV, and it's also supported and helped out by the wonderful people at Next Gen Men, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing healthy masculinity with youth programs, business work, and groups. You can check out what Next Gen Men is doing at nextgenmen.ca. This show is supported by the APN and also supported by Patreons, who donate as little as $2 a month to help the show keep the lights on. You can do the same by going to patreon.com slash modernmanpod. One of the major themes around the work of masculinity and gender theory in general is this idea of intersectionality. Now, the definition of intersectionality is the interconnected nature of social categorizations such as race, class, and gender as they apply to a given individual or group. Now, this was introduced as a concept way back in the 1800s when black women were being excluded from the feminist movements back then and was given a name in 1989 by Kimberly Crenshaw and then gained prominence by Patricia Hill Collins in the 1990s. All of them were talking about black feminism, but over time it has included many different classes, races, and ethnicities. This today can be used to describe specific types of sexuality as well, because some of them are considered an oppressed minority. Intersectionality in a nutshell can be stated to say that all people have and can represent different types of identities, and lumping people into categories and creating solutions for those categories will not be able to help one specific person at one time. So this is more of a social work lens. But it helps to see that a lot of people, including men, can inhabit many different identities, and sometimes those identities can be at odds with each other and with the society that we have created. Now listen, this is a long ramble to introduce Gianmarco Bisconti, a feminist gay young Muslim who is one of the hosts and producers of the feminist talk radio show, Adamant Eve. 
The ramble is not as important to the words and the stories you're about to hear from Gianmarco about his wrestling identity of being Muslim to his life as a gay man and how his name represents a small mask, but something that he has embraced. You know, listening back to this episode, I kept coming back to this phrase of multiple identities, something that we talk a lot about in masculinity discourse, but also to think about what life is like for a gay Muslim, which in itself sounds like rebellion in a homophobic and Islamophobic society. met you but the first time I met you actually was we were talking about um, a panel that was I was in about uh, masculinity um, and I thought you were a really good host and a really good person and a really good moderator there um, what got you interested in doing that first of all I it was it's kind of offered to me through um, the the work I do at CJSR so I uh, one of the hosts of a show called Adam and Eve which is a feminist news program but it's more of a talk show really where we talk about right. feminism and interview people yeah and um someone someone one of someone the that i work with there um was asked to host this panel but they couldn't do it so they but they thought i would be a good choice for it so um based on the work that i do there so that's kind of it kind of fell into my lap but it was um it was great because i got to meet you and yeah. <laughs> and it was the first time i've moderated a live discussion like that which was scary and and also like it's a sensitive topic but um you know um my my supervisor at cjsr thought i'd i had the capability of handling something that sensitive so yeah it was uh it was a wonderful opportunity (laughs) yeah you did a great job um talk to me about adam and eve uh how how long you've been a part of that show uh it's been three years now so i started when i i don't know how old i was but it was like the maybe the last year of my undergrad, um, so early 20s, I guess. And uh, I initially joined because my my friend was working on the show and um, I was just starting to get into feminism and I thought, oh, it'd be cool to meet other people who are um, interested in feminism and also creating content. Um, and so I just showed, I asked to attend one of their meetings and I just kind of, they started asking me to pitch ideas. So I just kind of got absorbed into it. Right, right, right. Uh, I just thought I was going to write scripts or grab people coffee, but that's not how that works. Um, and, You're fully uh, <laughs> in now. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the show itself is about, I mean, in a broad sense about feminism, but we like to say it's about feminisms in the plural because feminism isn't just one thing it's a discourse it's a system of politics so we try to tap into one conversation happening whether it's in pop culture or and related to policy or you know in our everyday lives um and you try to go um from talking about it in a really casual way to in a more academic way so we just want to highlight the diversity within feminism right yeah. right right I, I really connect to that that point of um, feminisms as a plural right because um, I know in, in my show and specifically uh, talking about uh, what I know about masculinity is like we talk about masculinities totally as right? a plural and I think that's really important it leaves room for things changing throughout time and within context right mm-hmm. if you just uh, talk about it in the singular it's like then it's the same for every single person or you run into policing what other people think where Absolutely. I mean there are right and wrongs um, but there's also room for 
interpretation and discussion and for our ethics to change throughout time, you know? Yeah. 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 I like that. I like that a lot. Um, um, and I think Adam and Eve does a really good job. And I, I well, I love the name too. And Adam, Adam and Eve is a really I, cool pun. <laughs> I should say that I didn't come up with the name. Like the show has been on the air since the early nineties. Wow. So, um, they've just kind of had a rotating cast of producers throughout yeah. the years. Um, so yeah, it's an awesome name. Um, but people always think it's Adam and Eve. <laughs> and then I always wonder like, Oh, I wonder if um, people think that it's like some like strange Christian, Christian like- show, <laughs> but it's not. Um, and I, when I listened to earlier ep- episodes too, where I was just kind of getting used to announcing, I do, I, I found that I did tend to swallow the tea at the end. So it was, it did sound like I was saying Adam and Eve. And now I'm like, Adam and Teeth. I like really hit that tea hard. So people know that it's a pun and you've cut Adam out. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like yeah. that a lot. I want to go back to this, this notion of, uh, of multiple identities, even, right. even inter- intersectionality. Yeah. Cause I, I was reading a piece that, uh, well, there was an interview that you, uh, that you had there from there talking about a specific, um, a specific uh, research project that you were into. Um, and you had this quote, and I really connected to this quote, and I just want to read it out. So you said, but people simultaneously take up multiple identities. They weren't just immigrants or just LGBTQ or just homeless people. Um, so you mentioned how intersection really plays into how we inform ourselves as a, as, as a specific part of this court. It feels like and and you know this is a personal uh opinion but it feels like we're kind of getting away from that intersectional discord i think where we're either stuck into one identity or one another identity and another identity and we're so how do you feel about this are you, you... yeah i i agree with you i think it's an interesting moment we're in because intersectionality has broken through the academic bubble and is really in our everyday um speech now and it's so common to hear it in the media Mm -hmm. but it's it's sort of important to ask ourselves how are we using it because i think what happens sometimes is when we talk about intersectionality becomes this another way to compartmentalize people like um sure you have multiple identities you can be lgbtq and a person of color oh but then that just means that you experience some things as a person of color and some things as an lgbtq person when really it's like no um our understanding of race is dependent on someone's gender or sexuality like simultaneously and the opposite is true as well so like how do we it's it's a really like um unwieldy thing to consider if you think about it then every single person has this unique intersection um, of identities but um, I don't know I think it's a really useful term and I I do try to catch myself from compartmentalizing others and myself which is kind of about what this what my research project was about I just um, so I was doing my master's in library and information studies, and right. I was reading a lot of literature about diversity and inclusion because that's one of the core competencies, or like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's one of the responsibilities that librarians are supposed to think about because it's a service industry and you're working mm-hmm. with the public. And um, but I found a lot of the literature was like so, like, you know, like Western almost, very Western and yeah. like very like black and white in, yeah, in the sense of like you know, immigrants want this or like, well, I mean, you have to account for like people have multiple identities or like, um, you know, people who 
there are people who don't speak English who are not newcomers in this country, uh, you know, so and we're all we're all different. So I think rather than creating services that are like trying to anticipate other people's needs, we need to create spaces that are welcome to difference, you know, right. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question. I just no, kind of got on a roll. But. No, that's perfect. I like, and it's interesting because you were a person that uh, my good friend Lisa Pruden is the one who, oh, was right. like, who recommended me yes. to say you got to interview Jim Marco because uh, he's a he's a person that has a lot of um, ideas about this and per, and it's just a fantastic human being. So, um, and just reading this reading this actual bio, this interview that it had, I got a lot out of it. So I was like, um, and I wanted to ask you about some things. Yes. Um, Specifically, this quote, and I and I connect to this very, very much. Um, my mother's of Arabic descent, raised in Kenya by adoptive parents. She deliberately didn't give us an Arabic, Arabic. I'm sorry, let me pronounce that wrong. She deliberately didn't give us Arabic names to pronounce to protect us from being targets. I connect to this very much yeah. because I have a quote unquote weird name. Too. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I know like, what you mean. Like, yeah. Hard to pronounce. Hard to pronounce, yeah, right? In quotations. Right. And I I even when I was younger, I thought, you know, what how would my life be different if I was just called Josh? Right. Like Josh William or something like that. Um, what kind of opportunities have I missed because my name was different than mm-hmm. somebody else's? Or they would look at a resume and be like, I can't pronounce this person's name, I'm not gonna hire them. Um but I can't even imagine or extrapolate that to have a person who has a muslim name for instance like her name was muhammad or something Mm -hmm. like that um how that would affect them in a day-to-day life when your mother talked to you about this um what were your feelings like it's very difficult for me to think about i think uh i used to be frustrated with my mother for encouraging me not to disclose that I'm Muslim or that I'm brown to people and she like always pushed me and my sisters to just tell people just tell people you're Italian you know it's it's easier that way people right. don't like Muslims and um so is your father Italian my father is Italian okay. which is why my name is Italian okay. um so sense. I'm I'm mixed race but right. um I look because of my name and because my skin's quite light most people just assume I'm Italian or Mediterranean or something yeah, and and I used to just feel like, oh, mom, like no one cares about that stuff. It's fine. And then as I got older, I I realized that my mom, on some level, had a had a point. Like, you know, there there have been many cases in the past few years of young Muslims being attacked or even killed um, for being visibly Muslim and having a Muslim name as a part of that, um, or even just having an Arab or an Indian name, or if you're a Sikh name, there's like right. crossover there. Yeah. Um, people don't understand the difference between a Sikh and a Muslim person. But um, so on some level, I understood now I understand now that my mom wanted to protect me and that she herself being a young immigrant in Canada when she was 14, she came here when she was around 14 and like having a Muslim name and being a person of color, she must have internalized a lot of racism and Islamophobia that in her mind made whiteness desirable in some way or that as some kind of um, security method so I I understand that but it is also something I push against now because I I want people to see all that I am and also it doesn't really 
it, it doesn't really make sense for me to pretend that I'm like fully white or fully Italian. Totally. Because totally. Because when I when I did, I mean, I tried. <laughs> like I I talked to other people who were fully Italian, like, and I just couldn't relate to the full spectrum of their experience because that was I was raised with. Um, so my mother's adopted, so my family's actually Indian on her side. Wow. Okay. Um, so I was raised with Italian and Indian traditions, and I'm Muslim, and so. Um, you know, a lot of Italian culture is wrapped up in Catholicism. Mm-hmm. My father's still Catholic, but um, I was not really raised with those types of traditions. Um, so it was like, it was difficult. I'm like, oh, like, I'm just, I'm fooling myself <laughs> and thinking that I can, um, be, you know, try to be something I'm not, but in a good way. Like, I, I, it's, I shouldn't have to hide part of myself to be accepted. So um, it's something I think about a lot now. Um, and so I try to... I try to be, <laughs> I try, I try in my own ways to be more visibly or more vocal about being Muslim and being a, a person of color, keeping in mind the privilege I have yeah. of having a European name and having light skin. Mm-hmm. And what's funny is that I, I technically have a name that's hard to pronounce as well. <laughs> like not everyone <laughs> um, sees my name and realizes that it's pronounced John Marco, but what I notice is that people are often more willing to learn how to pronounce it. Right. Because, right. you know, a uh, complicated European name is kind of like um, fun for people to, <laughs> to learn in some ways. Like people are way more receptive to learning my name than if my name was Muhammad, for example. Right. Um, so I definitely, um, so I do get, I sometimes do get people saying, Oh, can I just call you John or can I just call you whatever? And it's like, yeah. no, but I also, and that's annoying, but at the yeah. same time, I'm like, it's also not the same if my name, um, you know, was, if I was, did have a traditional Muslim name as well. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I do experience some of that. Yeah, no, that's a, uh, I, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. That's it. And, and like all those things were. When you're talking about those things about the the changing your name to to something considered quote unquote white, like I I had a lot of friends who were East Asians and um, they were either Sikh or um, from other countries as well too, and they for for the most part they would change their names to to be considered white. They would be like Gary or Steve, but they were that wasn't their name. That was the culture I rose I, I grew up in too. So I sometimes I totally connect to that kind of uh, like pushing back and forth of like identity. You know what I yeah. mean? It's never consistent with me either. Like I started introducing myself using my full name more, but um, most of my life I've just been called Marco because it's a lot easier uh, yeah. <laughs> to go with that. Um, but I like incorporating my whole name because there. So the first part of my name, John, is it is Italian. It is Italian for John, but my mom chose it because it's also Persian. So it is in some ways like my stealth Muslim name. <laughs> but so I, but it, you know, it's it's like a gesture. It's symbolic of me being fully who I am in the world, rather than like having gone through so much of my life trying to hide and being afraid that people would judge me for who I am. It's like, well, I'm going to use my full name now to just 
stand in my truth to be like really Oprah about it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. That's so cool. That's very yeah. cool. I, it's I powerful, right? It's totally powerful. Mm-hmm. Totally powerful. And like I, like I said, I totally connect this because that, that's how I felt about my Chilean roots. And that's how I felt about like, like my name. I had such a, <laughs> such a weird stick thing about my name that it's just like hard to pronounce and it's like yeah. weird. You know what I mean? I remember when we first met and like I, cause I had to announce everyone, introduce everyone on this panel. We were, I like made a point of like, asking you like it's pronounced Kerman, totally right? did yeah i like because i like i didn't want to just assume like it's okay for me to say herman or say <laughs> you know so because like i totally would have appreciated that having been on the other end yeah so. and i totally did appreciate yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, i can say it yeah. <laughs> you want me to <laughs> and i do and you know what before it used to bug me that people would just like try to pronounce my name properly but now i really appreciate it now i think it's just like a form of like like oh you're you're respecting who I am yeah, and that's yeah. that I think that's really a cool thing and I yeah that's that's so that's such a neat neat uh, interesting thing and I, and I think a lot of people um, kind of go through that too like especially with their own identity in a place like like Canada that's very multicultural um, that we we have to struggle with our own identities a lot um, did you have those not even as a as somebody who is Muslim or like half Italian, half Indian, um, but yourself, you're gay as well. Yeah. Um, tell me what that struggle was like for you as as somebody who is, um, you know, not quote unquote white. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because right. yeah, that's, you know, that's an important distinction. Um, I was always sort of an effeminate kid. So I think people was really i think people i had the term gay applied to me way before i even realized it i think mm-hmm. i was about 14 when i actually realized that it was that that's what i was um it sort of came later in life i i had to, i always feel like i had to learn to navigate the world being mixed race and muslim first and then being gay came after oh, wow. and i yes. once talked about talked i was talking to a friend about that because he was saying like well you were gay the whole time like you've also been a gay man your whole life and i was like yes but like i would agree but when you're younger i didn't really have an understanding of sexuality or i didn't really feel like i had a sexuality until i was a teenager you know um but like so in some ways my experience as a person of color and as a muslim is like more formative for me but right um when i did realize i was gay it just felt like another layer of like great now i have to be extra careful <laughs> right, about, um, right right um how i behave and how people see me and um so i was really i was closeted for a long time i didn't come out until i was um 18 to like my mom and some of my friends and and now like you can google me and find out <laughs> um i think um the added stress I had being um, mixed race and Muslim is that coming out didn't feel like it was something that just affected me. You know, I worried that I didn't want to embarrass my parents or, um, and I think especially if you come from a community or a culture that's much more collective than like most Western cultures, then you, you, that is actually important to you. Like I, if I come out and, you know, my, know my family doesn't agree and then you know my actions actually affect how people could treat them or see them in their own community and that's not fair um and you know i think having having read a lot of like mainstream lgbtq like resources and stuff or you know sometimes there's this message of like oh like 
you know, you're not responsible for that. And like, just tell your parents to fuck off and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I don't know. It's, it's, it's more it's, complex than that. It's more <laughs> complex when you don't, you know, when you actually, when you understand that your parents have their own, have experienced their own like systems of oppression, you know, totally. yeah. like, yeah. so it's more difficult, more complex when you consider that. And also, you know, it could, it might be important to you that your family still has a role in their community, right? Because you don't want to bring that on. Like, that's important for your parents or for your sisters or whatever, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, like, yeah. You, you don't want to disrupt that. So, um, it's a way more st- stressful <laughs> I would imagine. Um, coming out, I think, if you aren't white. And I, I'm sure, like, there there could be overlap. But I, in my experience, having talked to a lot of to other LGBTQ Muslims and other um lgbtq people of color like this is like a common experience we have especially the like trying to being sensitive to like what your family has gone through um and like the traumas your family has like like like, it's been subjected to yeah no that's that's fascinating and thank you for for sharing that i think that's such a um thing that gets missed sometimes when we talk about um people who are um, in the lgbtq community Mm -hmm. you know myself i'm not um but i do consider myself to be an ally in that in that in that community but at the same time i don't understand it fully like that's not that's not my world right so hearing stories like that really helps us inform how that world might be like i think in some ways it was easier for me because i wasn't really fully embedded in my muslim community growing up um but for people who grow up like way having that like a bigger part of their life you know it is super difficult to think about losing that just because just because you come out you know so i try to leverage that for myself you know like it's way easier for me to be public and to speak about myself because a lot of people don't want good things for gay muslims in this world so but you know it's i have i feel like i have a strong support system uh, and I'm also leveraging some of my privilege that I said before. Um, it's my responsibility to do so. But um, this is also just my experience at the same time. You're very true about saying that that, that that is your personal experience and everybody else has their own experiences that they deal with it. Um, and it seems like being a, a a person who is gay and person who is Muslim seems like a almost like a like an <laughs> activist thing almost you know what i you're, mean yeah you're like thrust into it right yeah because <laughs> we're i mean i was always assumed that these two things were totally incompatible and i had to choose like i was either muslim or i was either gay and i you know it took me a long time to unpack that and come to the realization that you know no one else can make that decision for me you know i and also like I'm just existing within with these two things. Totally. Part of me. It's totally. not a it's not a decision, right? So like even if I, you know, decided I'm never gonna I'm not gonna practice Islam anymore, it's like that will always be a part of my upbringing and my formation as a person. So um, yeah, it was. So I, I, I in some ways I get that because like I totally thought that these two things like incompatible well, like, almost did not work <laughs> did not compute but um so yeah and i think a lot of muslims in general are like for you're called upon to be an activist all the time totally because there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about what what it means to be muslim and so you 
you feel the need to defend yourself or to declare solidarity, even if you're like not practicing. <laughs> right, right, right. And if you're a gay Muslim, it's doubly so, right? I would imagine. Because like, you know, uh, when you're in between identities like that, you know, you might not necessarily fit in a mainstream LGBTQ or feel safe in a mainstream space for LGBTQ p- people. And you also might not feel safe in your like cultural, ethno-religious communities at the same time. So, um, I think that's why <laughs> it seems very lonely. In it can spaces, be. Right? I think that's why many people who are um, LGBTQ and Muslim become activists, or are. It's just out of it's out of necessity in a way because we have to build our own spaces, and if we don't talk about this, then who is? You know, <laughs> right, 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 right. And, I, and that's probably a common experience across marginalized communities. Yeah, I would imagine, and. Um... Is that is that tiring? Is that, is that I, to be a person that's like being called upon to talk about either being either gay or a Muslim or right. a gay Muslim? Is that is it's, that tiring? It's scary. It's, I don't feel like I, I I can say I'm tired yet. Like people have been there. Are people who do amazing work in in this city who've been working a lot longer and a lot harder to um, to progress. Um, rights for LGBTQ Muslims. I I just kind of show up and talk sometimes, you know. <laughs> but it, it's um it's very scary. After I um so after I published this article when I was a grad student about how libraries could serve queer Muslim communities, I got a little bit of attention for it, and I was asked to speak sometimes. And a lot of the times, I was asked to speak as a gay Muslim. Um, Partly because that's the only way I feel comfortable talking. Like, I can only talk about myself being specifically, you know, a mixed race, gay, Ismaili Muslim. <laughs> like, because I, I, I can't speak for, uh, like, other experiences. Totally. But it's really hard sometimes because I, I'm very, I'm a very anxious person. I don't enjoy being in front of people. I'm comfortable doing this kind of thing. But, like, um, standing on a stage and talking about yourself and trying to explain islam and explain <laughs> you know trying to educate people who have who are curious or might have heard things or uh who might have generalizations it's very difficult because i'm not like an expert on the quran or anything i'm not an expert on every single interpretation of islam so someone has to come forward and try right um but i i do hope that i do hope that other voices um, there are other voices that people seek out or that we, we can create a society where more people feel safe to step out and speak. Um, and so I, I just try to remind myself that like anytime I, I agree to speak, it's like maybe I can, maybe I'm creating space for someone else to correct anything that I've said, yeah, you know? No, totally, totally. That's, I can't even imagine the, the pressure of that or how that might feel. Um, trying to explain your experience like kind of over and over to people to say like, you know, I exist. I'm a person. I'm a being. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that's that's totally it. Because at the end of the day, you just want to say, well, I'm a human. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is why <laughs> I should feel safe and have access to services. <laughs> like, yeah, no and, um, <laughs> and shouldn't be ostracized. But um, you're always trying to explain other things about like you know, does Islam hate gay people? I'm like, well, <laughs> I, I can't answer that. Or, you know, 
Islam itself can't do anything. Like it's the people <laughs> and the the hatreds and narratives we have in our society that can do things. This episode of Modern Manhood is brought to you by the Edmonton Community Foundation's Well Endowed Podcast, whose last show focuses on International Women's Day. And they had a chat with some of the people surrounding Women Building Futures, uh, which is a group that's helping women in the construction industry, and to the people behind a counseling program at the YWCA who are empowering women in Edmonton. To listen to the Well Endowed podcast and find out more about the amazing women in Edmonton, go to thewellendowedpodcast.com. That's thewellendowedpodcast.com. Or you can just search it up wherever you find cool podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, wherever you find it. You can find it there. I wanted to ask about your your dad, your father. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so he, he's Italian, correct? Was he born in Canada? Was he born in Italy? My father was born in Italy, yes. Yeah. In Calabria, to be specific. Calabria. Calabria, which Calabria. is like the tip of the boot. Oh, uh, cool. If you can imagine the Italian peninsula. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Have you gone back to Italy? I have. I've never been to my dad's hometown. And um, it's funny. I taught myself how to speak Italian. My dad never really... He'd kind of speak it um, a little bit here and there. Um, but my the part of Italy where my dad's from, he is actually a community of Albanian Italians that moved, like, emigrated from Albania to Italy, like, centuries ago but they actually still speak albanian in my dad's hometown wow. okay. so i don't actually speak my hometown's <laughs> my, language like my actual like ancestral language is kind of funny i thought oh i did all the i like i felt so good i'm learning italian i was you like oh i was like it's not even my language man <laughs> yeah that's, that's, <laughs> and, that's funny you know dialects are not something you can learn in a classroom either so it makes me very sad sometimes mm, yeah i would imagine i would imagine um how did your father respond to you coming out? Here's the thing. I have not formally <laughs> told my dad oh. <laughs> that I'm gay. <laughs> Interesting. Should we cut this out? <laughs> um, no, it's fine. Okay. Um, like, my, I, like I, I live with my parents and my parents are still together. So I, like my mom knows. I'm pretty sure that my dad knows. We just don't really have a relationship where we really talk that much. Um, I don't think it's a problem. It's just kind of a, it just feels very strange to think about sitting him down and giving him the talk, giving him the talk where it's like, <laughs> we don't really say, how was your day even? So, <laughs> um, Interesting. yeah, but, um, so I, I don't know. I'll have to update you on how it goes. Please, <laughs> please. I would, I would imagine that would be an interesting conversation. Um, so can I ask why your relationship with your father is kind of like that? Is that comfortable for you? or is Yeah, that... that's that's fine. Um, I never really talked about this, but it's not like something I feel uh, that's difficult to talk about. Um, part of it's circumstance. Um, so one of my sisters had a very bad physical disability. She was in a car accident when she was younger. So um, that really was a huge life disruption um in my family's life and that the accident happened the year i was born so um so growing up i had there was 24-hour nursing care in our home because my sister was on a ventilator so part of it is just that my parents were grieving for a terrible tragedy and that my father had to increase his work hours to like help fund my sister's home care 
Um, and then eventually my, when my sister turned 18, um, she did pass away. Mm. Um, so in some ways, like the fact that my father is distant is a product of his mental health and, you know, grieving for a child and circumstances forcing him to be away. But, um, so, I, but that's all the, the funny thing is that is the only version of my father that I've known. So, mm. But I do have memories of him spending time with us when we were little. He'd like take us out to St. Albert to like those like Franco Albertan festivals and stuff or like to Little Italy. And um, so like I think he was more active when I was little, but I, you know, his own pain has made it hard to like be vulnerable, even with even with uh, like my sisters and my mom. Uh, or I, I shouldn't say that. I don't know, like, if what my parents talk about, but I think certainly with me and my sisters, it's uh, that was a huge factor. So I, yeah, it's it's complicated, but I, I, I think that's the reason why. Um, I'm yeah. You can only assume. I right? think about this all the time. Like, would would things have been different? <laughs> but my, do you know, my dad also didn't really have a father either when he was growing up, because um, um, so because my my grandparents weren't weren't married it was kind of a scandal so um so like in my dad's hometown so my my dad's father couldn't really be a part of his life although I think he claimed my father so but I my dad has always said that he just felt shy about interacting with his grandfather knowing like what was going on in small Italian towns yeah yeah, so I think that's also part of it my dad not having a model of what it meant to be a father I don't know if that's like really <laughs> um stereotypical or uh, presumptuous but I I do I do think about that I don't think my I think that's a big another big part of it yeah no totally I, I could totally see that thank you for sharing that I think that's a that's a really um you know vulnerable moment especially with your with your dad and your sister passing away that's a that's a it's a heavy thing and um I could totally, I, I understand like you're trying to create those, those connections and not really having those answers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, um, I, you, you're right. Like having that, that proper mental health is, is so important and so valuable, but also like to understand that in a, in a family, sometimes like the father, especially in a traditional family that the father does need to go out and like carry the burden of work almost. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. My mom had to leave her job when my sister, when this is my sister's accident happened. Right. And she took on managing the home care. So I think in a lot of, it's kind of this similar situation in that I was also cut off from my mom uh, in some ways. She couldn't really spend time with me either. But although, because she was home, I saw her more often. Um, and so I missed out on her also passing on her culture and her religion for the same reason she kind of like passed on what she could um so it's kind of a similar situation with both my parents right yeah right are you feeling like you're trying to catch up now like to catch up on those on those like missed traditions or missed areas where you're trying to like yeah have a hold of your identity <laughs> yeah it's funny you ask that i do think so um definitely it's partly why i still live at home no, partially it's because it's not really a shameful thing to do in like italian or indian culture but um i do think about that it's been important for me to stay home longer as an adult because i missed out on family time when i was younger um so yeah definitely and even even trying to pick up my culture again to like 
like I said, learn, learning Italian, um, trying to read more about Ismailism, trying to also um, pick up more Gujarati, which is what my mother speaks. Mm. So, but it, it is, sometimes it feels hopeless, but I, you know, I just, I'm trying my best. <laughs> no, and that's all you can do, right? <laughs> um, I think that's really cool. And like I said, that again, that's something I connect to very, very clearly about trying to this, this playing catch up. Cause I, I could tell for myself that I almost resisted my Spanish culture and almost like was very much a person that uh, didn't want to be considered Latino except for my name because I know I couldn't escape that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but now I feel like I'm missed out on that and I'm trying to grab hold back of it. You know what yeah. I mean? If I could go back in time, I would just tell my mom to like, you know, teach me Gujarati, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause I think there is also partially, partially is around shame too of like, not wanting me to become a target for others like my mom saw growing up but you know it's it is it is difficult when you know like it's like within reach in a yeah. way because it's not like especially if you're like second generation it's like you know my parents like are not from canada so but i kind of feel like that already there's this huge gap between their culture and me when there shouldn't be but it's it's a hard thing to cope with sometimes. Yeah, yeah. To yeah. like, what am I then? <laughs> totally. Like, if you, I that's like in my worst moments, I feel like I'm not fully anything, um, and I just yeah, I wonder if that feeling will persist of like just me feeling like kind of halfway belonging to everywhere I go. <laughs> yeah. No, I totally, I I totally connect to that. I think that's. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's such a interesting interesting thing that that we never really get to talk about and we never really get to capture especially yeah. with um with immigrants and with first generation people mm-hmm. even second generation yeah. people here in canada it's and i think it will become more important as time moves on because yeah. as um i mean everyone's kind of a hybrid in some sense but i think especially in canada and the usa like where there's way more like interactions across communities and across cultures. Totally. And I think it's going to become a more important thing. Yeah. As, like steering away from, from your uh, talk about identity and uh, about race and uh, um, specifically around your masculinity. And, uh, you know, you mentioned before when you were growing up that a lot of people kind of assumed <laughs> that you were gay. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were right. <clears throat> what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> did that did it affect your psyche a bit when you were growing up or did that how did that play into when you were mm. when you were younger uh you know i went through a period where i thought that i should have been born a girl and not that i felt like i was a girl i never felt that i was but i i just felt like everything i did was wrong you know like mm. everything i did as a boy was wrong like mm. i was constantly being corrected on the way that I spoke, the way that I stood, the way that I walked. So I was like, clear, like I'm clearly just not, don't know how to do this. Yeah. Like, my life would be much easier <laughs> totally. had I been a girl. And like, I spent most of my time with my mom and my sisters. So I've, um, so I think, I think it was just confusing for me because I never like internally, I've never really felt that conflicted about myself. It's always been how other people have seen me or perceived me. Yeah. Like, I knew that I was, um, you know, a boy, 
I knew that I belonged to many cultures. I knew eventually that I was gay. Um, but none of this was like in conflict to me personally, but it was always like, oh, this is going to change how other people perceive me or other people don't like the way that I am. So I think that had a big impact on my emotional well-being or my psyche. Did that turn into to bullying or was it a point of like where you um, where people just kind of I'm like, this is how uh, is. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, not not a like severe bullying but i was kind of teased in school right a little bit and i was certainly very afraid of other boys um most of my friends actually to this day most of my friends are women <laughs> and that was kind of how it always was throughout school like i just became very afraid of rejection from other boys because i was just like well like <laughs> right they're not gonna i just got into this state of mind where like i just assumed like they're not gonna like me because i'm weird right or because i'm not I just can't perform masculinity in the same ways that they can. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> do you do you find it easier now? Do you find that that you have your that known concept yeah. of masculinity? I think yeah, I think I'm more at peace with it. I worry less about what other people think. Yeah, I would imagine what that. I'm doing. <laughs> what I'm doing, I guess. And I, I um, yeah, I just try to focus on what I what feels right to me. And not worrying about whether or not it's masculine enough or not. Um, so, like, the way that I dress or even the way that I speak. Um, but it's funny now. I think it happens less where people... Mo- like, it's hap- happens more often now. Now that I have a beard. <laughs> people... <laughs> I don't know what it is. Uh, most people... A lot of people are surprised now to find out that I'm gay. Right. I don't, and to me, it's so blatantly obvious. But <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Um and so I wonder if, like, subconsciously, I've I've learned to perform masculinity like, in, a, in a certain way. way that doesn't that like reads as like mainstream. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, yeah, like even the sound of my voice. This mm-hmm. is like such a huge, huge piece or huge element of my identity that I was so like self conscious about for a long time before I started doing radio and actually had to hear myself speak. Um, yeah, I, I always felt like, oh, I'm too, like, I sound so feminine or like I up talk too much or I say like too much. And, and then now, now I just, I don't, I like the way I talk. I don't, I try not to, uh, ruminate on it. Um, but yeah, that used to be something that people would point out too, but now, now it rarely happens. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, that's curious. <laughs> or even like the way I dress. Like I was so afraid to wear certain clothes, like florals or certain colors. And now I'm like, I'll just do it. Because uh, <laughs> like that's what I want to wear. Yeah, um, and now it's like coming back, everyone's wearing it. And now everyone's that. doing it. So maybe that's why. <laughs> maybe I'm just a trendsetter. <laughs> that's what it is. Maybe you're a trailblazer. You're, you're just like, people are catching up now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you think people make less assumptions now of that it now? It could be. But although assuming I'm straight is an assumption, the true in a, in a way, I get, I always get the feeling that people are trying to be polite. But it's like you're not. <laughs> I right. don't want people to see me as straight. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, it could that could be it. Um, I think that in a way that's good. I think I think masculinity has expanded in a way where at least in within my circle, where like we're not policing each other as much or beholden to certain behaviors as being masculine or right. certain ways of speaking as being masculine which is nice yeah, yeah. no and that i guess that's about that that really needs like some next question is um stepping out of the circle um because yeah, I, I get into this kind of habit too it's like uh 
oh, I'm in this a really cool group of friends or a really cool community where I, you know, people don't say these kind of things or are not racist as much or you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah. But then you step outside of that and you realize, oh wait, there's <laughs> other there's other people around us. Do you get that sense too, or is that like totally the yeah. echo chamber, right? Yeah, the echo chamber, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, the whole world is cool, and then you're like, oh no, no it's not. <laughs> I've just I just know all the cool people. Yeah, all the time. I I think that's a huge a huge factor in my life. I think a lot of it I think is just for my own comfort too. I I, I don't think I would feel comfortable stepping out of <laughs> my circle in a lot of ways, but um you also can't keep that from me from you can't make you can't let that make you uh, assume like what's going on in the rest of the world. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um have you gotten any negative feedback over the stuff that you do over like at Adam and Eve or anything No, else? not at all. You know, um, it's funny. It looks, uh, we recently interviewed someone who like was on the show and like when it first started and they like gave us this cool package of like fan mail and like they said they got hate mail all the time, but like, no, <laughs> we, no we don't get mail. anything now. Wow. Um, but I think at the time it was way more radical. Like, right. Um, right. That we, when I was talking to this, uh, one of the first adamant divers they said the the culture on campus was way more conservative so to have women on the radio talking about feminism like was quite um you know it like it disturbed a lot of people in the sense of like really woke them up and i think now the show cgsr in general is more about like it's radical but it's kind of just amplifies the voices on campus mm. i think that that is most dominant in mm-hmm. my in my opinion mm-hmm. <laughs> i think yeah. i think campus is a way more progressive place than it was before so uh no we don't i don't really get hate for it <laughs> that's good that's good it is good yeah because feminism has become a kind of a a global thing which is fantastic a lot of mm-hmm. people are talking about feminism much more um you do get into and correct me if I'm wrong, and correct me in perception of this, um, kind of the pop feminism. Right. Where you have these kind of different ideas of what feminism is about. Yeah. Is that, does that become a problem? It can be. Yeah. Um, I think it's funny. That's where I kind of started with my feminism. It was right. definitely in a pop culture sense. And I think that's a lot of people's entryway into it. And totally. it's not a bad thing. But I think if you make that everything, it can be kind of an issue if we're really working towards policy change and structural changes i mean it's it's good to correct a celebrity when they say something terrible because they they're an influencer whether you like it or not they have platforms and people believe what they say and they can you know they can catalyze changes or movements in some ways but making that everything I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it should begin and end there, right? I mean, pop culture is important in that it it uh, reflects the culture and the ideals and the values of the people who participate in it, right? Totally. So it's important for that. It indicates where things are going well and where things are not going so well or what we think is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. But, yeah, I don't know. I think sometimes... I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I concern myself too much about what celebrities think politically or whether uh, like a movie is feminist or not. Like those are important mm-hmm. questions, but I, um, I don't know. I think sometimes it's easy just to drop the issue there yeah. and not think about like, well, how can I like empower, you know, 
um, movements within my own town or <laughs> how maybe I should do some more reading or get to know people who are doing important social work in, where I live. And um, maybe I should like find out, you know, how I can fix this problem in other areas outside of pop culture. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, that's great. <laughs> I, I, you know what, that's that I, I really appreciate that answer because I feel the same way about um, even the discourse around masculinity because right now it's becoming a big topic um, of discussion and something like it's great that it's happening. The, 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 the Me Too movement really sparked the yeah. conversation specifically around masculinity. Um, and I do have to temper myself sometimes because I'm like, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time and there has been like you know, people send me articles, people send me links, and, and it is it is kind of like this idealistic form of what people should be talking about masculinity, but then you're like, you can easily, like, like pick apart that. Yeah. Uh, I do have to stop myself from being like, this is a gateway. <laughs> this is a gateway for them yeah. to talk about something good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, discussions are great. Like, yeah. I'm glad that these things can be discussed in the open. But, um, yeah, but some, I think sometimes the platforms that we have to discuss these like very sensitive, deep issues is not sufficient enough. Mm. But uh, so I think that's where I, I feel conflicted sometimes too. Like um, it just feels so unregulated for people to be talking about some of these topics, like totally on Twitter where like you can, you're so vulnerable and I'm like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if this is safe for it. <laughs> everyone. No. And then you're given a range of like five emoticons to, <laughs> respond to someone giving a testimony to something terrible that's happened to them yeah. so it's it's but at the same time i'm glad that it's opening up and that we can that like i said conversations are always good but uh that that's why we were talking about um pluralism in a way like mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. movements is or concepts is existing in multiplicity and changing all the time totally 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 um but i do know what you mean (laughs) (laughs) i have like i don't know it's 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 like i said it's totally awesome and i'm happy people are connecting to it but i totally agree with like that unregulated stance especially to like issues like race and issues like sexual identity and issues like sexual uh, assault sexual assault like domestic assault it's such a it's a huge nuanced conversation that's that's been giving 240 characters to talk i just worry about yeah this the safety of people who yeah. are on these platforms like it's it can be scary and then the the arguments you can get yourself into i, I think at a certain point it stops stops being educational and i i think that should be the goal of of any activist movement is to to educate to educate and to create healthier relationships yeah totally totally but that's maybe my idealism <laughs> and that's all you can talk about yeah. right? I guess. um i want to jump into another topic mm-hmm. and then um we'll ask that last question um you just recently uh won an award for poetry oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> it says you're like, oh, I don't want to. Like. I like had a physical reaction to that. <laughs> I don't like talking about you my like, accomplishments. You don't want to prop yourself up. Ugh. Well, I'm going to prop you okay. for you. Okay. <laughs> um, you won, let me see here, the Glass Buffalo English Poetry Prize yeah. in 2016. Um, can you talk to me about what 
the what the poem was that you that that won that award oh sure uh that poem was called tiger's eye um and it it was uh actually a poem about my sister's funeral Mm. and um I write about my sister a lot. It's something I started doing after she passed away. And I um, I also wrote a play when I was a student about my experiences grieving after um, that was in the New Works Festival on campus. And I just, eventually, I feel like all this writing I did culminated with this poem, Tiger's Eye, where I finally had this moment where I'm like, okay, I said what I was trying to say this whole time. <laughs> um, so I was really, I, I mean, I was overjoyed that it won um it's the first like writing prize oh creative writing prize that i've won so uh and it's because it was so close to my heart and uh yeah yeah Yeah. congratulations that's that's so cool that's very cool what brought you into poetry what what, why did you start with poetry do you know i've always felt like this creative need in my life i wanted to be a visual artist my whole life and then i I would used to draw all the time and then eventually I felt like I plateaued and just wasn't getting any better and really kind of running out of ideas. And I had a really great English teacher in grade 11 who like really thought I was a good writer. And I thought, Hey, I never thought about that. (laughs) So I just started writing more uh, as a way to like try another medium. And I, and it was something I felt more confident in that I, that I could write decently well. And then I started journaling and eventually I found that my journals turned into poems mainly because I can be I'm kind of a secretive person I know you won't believe that because I've just like told you my whole life story (laughs) but I really do feel like I I can be quite secretive in that I don't like telling people what's going on with me all the time Mm -hmm. and a poem what I like about poetry is that you can hide experiences within them Mm. it doesn't have to follow um, you know typical grammatical rules or sentence structure and you know you're trying to create a feeling through words and so i usually start a poem with something that has happened to me or a memory or an image that comes to mind but i i feel like i'm just folding that real thing (laughs) uh with um things that i imagine so like i know what it's about to me but um other people can read it and maybe they're not really sure what it's about um but they can add in their own interpretation yeah. of what stuff so, that they have, right? Yeah, so it became a, a, um, a way for me to work through my emotions and my vulnerabilities that felt safe to me. And, uh, yeah, that's that's really why I write. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. And it's and it's so interesting because I uh, I was just thinking about this. I was like, oh, like, uh, so Lisa, Lisa Pruden, we just talked about, she also does his own podcast, uh, the Well-Endowed Podcast of Andrew Paul. And Andrew, um, as we talked about in another episode, has a dancing podcast. And I connect this with dance and poetry <laughs> kind of like the same ways. Like yeah. there's an interpretation of what a single, maybe a story or a narrative. Right. But people can put in their own interpretations into, their, into that yeah. thing and connect with it in yeah. their own very personal way. Yeah. And, you know, I had a friend point out to me that... Um, it's it's a way that I can have control over how much people see of me too. And I never thought about that before, but right. she was like, you know, based on what you told me, it's like people told you were this, or you should be this or that you're not that for your whole life. And now like, so poetry is a way that I can control how much people see of me. 
um, how, how many details about myself that I can put into a poem that I'm okay with. And I was like, oh man, you're right. It mm-hmm. is like sort of a need to have control over my, my image in a way. Uh, and it's, and it's also like kind of self-effacing because like it's, it's just text on a paper. Right. Yeah. And, and there's no one can follow up. <laughs> yeah. Like, is this true? <laughs> have you true. lied to me? <laughs> But I, I think that's also a part of it is like me wanting to, yeah, define how my story is seen, mm. particularly because I write from my life. Right, right. That's so cool. That's very cool. I'm always very interested in how <laughs> people's creative passions are flowing. And uh, poetry is something I never really connected with. But at the same time, I am very, um, I respect the people who create this because I think it's such Anything I find hard and somewhat and then someone else can do very well, I'm just like I respect you kind of I mean, I don't know <laughs> I don't know if I can do it that well, but I Listen, you I, wrote, I wrote <laughs> I wrote one poem that was okay and people liked it. <laughs> That's what I say to that. <laughs> That's funny, maybe yeah. I should get into poetry. <laughs> <laughs> you should. Maybe, Everyone maybe. should. I also understand you have something for us too. Yeah, I I did bring a poem to read. Um because I don't really write about gender that often, but I, I recently wrote something that I I did feel fit the topic of the podcast. Uh, it's um, um, but it's from I'm working on a new collection of poems right now about religion, actually, um, and kind of they're kind of my version of devotional poems. Um, so it's, they're really just a window into my experience with religion and. Or just windows into my life as a Muslim man. But um, so this poem is called "The Sovereign." You don't like ties. Your father never taught you how to wear them. They seemed so heavy with inheritance at the time, a paternal legacy. Perhaps you might finally live up to your Arbaresh face, averse to anything that feels like strangling. You've seen too clearly how a crown becomes a shackle if worn about the neck. Your father was you once, but you are nothing like your father. He crossed an ocean with nothing but a scholarship, and now he lives like he drowned before he ever reached the shore. God save you. God save you. You are a reenactment. You have your nonno's language and your bapa's religion. The one who lives in your memory is the one who looked nothing like you. He did not care. Your mother says you share his patience and quiet temperament. She gave you his ring when you finished university, the one he bought when they first came to Canada, long after he had passed. You could have thanked him in Gujarati this time. Wouldn't he be surprised? Do you remember the way his neck craned unnaturally the night he had a stroke? Do you remember? Do you remember how you felt when he died and you realized how little you knew him? That was beautiful. That Thank was you. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, that was I, really good. I I wanted to bring it because I was reading through these new poems that I've been writing, and I was like, this one's really about like my father figures or paternal figures in my life. Um, it's kind of about my father and my my maternal grandfather. 
because I was listening to a previous episode uh, of yours and you talked about like who are your role models <laughs> and I was like I don't think I I don't think I really had any <laughs> strong male like role models or father figures in my life there's always been this kind of distance in some ways um, emotional with my father and with my grandfather he didn't really speak a lot of English and my mom never taught me Gujarati and um, he also died when I was a teenager so and I felt like I missed out on this chance to connect with him because apparently uh, I'm I'm quite similar to him. Oh, wow. And also, <laughs> this is like a little kooky of me, but I saw a psychic once and they said that, um, you know, my, my grandfather, my mother's father was like watching over me and like they even said like you, if you had got to know him when he was still alive, you would have had a lot to connect on or wow. a lot to talk about. And he's sort of you can think of him as your spiritual guide, I guess. And, um, no, that was just really, really reassuring to me. And, uh, it did kind of fill me with this longing, you know, I wish I had, had been able to talk to him more because I, I didn't, I didn't know my father's parents that well. They lived in Italy, um, and they both passed now. Um, so my, my only experience with, like, with my grandparents is, is with my, my Indian grandparents here in Edmonton. Wow. So, yeah, um, I felt like this poem fit it did. today. <laughs> Holy moly, that was great. <laughs> that really was great. I was like, I'm so glad you liked it. It's, uh, like I said, it's a, in, in process, but. <laughs> no, that was, that was fantastic. Like, Thank even, you. like, the first few lines about, like, um, tying the ties. The ties, yeah. The ties, I was like, the tie is such a symbolic it is mom, like like piece of attire especially for men and especially because it takes um it takes practice and it takes like a skill to tie it and it's specifically to like you know like i know a lot of women wear ties but like it is very much a male symbol it is and it i think you i always assumed it was like this ritual yeah. that you know like your father teaches you how to do it or just like your father teaches you how to shave because that's something very common right. to men and like my mom taught me how to tie a tie, tie um and i'm still really bad at it i don't know how to do it <laughs> <laughs> properly and um i was just kind of like given razors and i was like try to shave yep. like good Go luck <laughs> Um, so I feel like, yeah, I missed out on some of these rituals, I guess, that other people get. Um, and it's okay. I, I did want to mention that I, as much as I, as much as I have kind of lamented all these things I've missed out on, I do also make a point of giving thanks for Mm -hmm. who I, like how my life has gone, I Mm -hmm. guess. That's Mm -hmm. crazy to say, even though, because I'm only 26, but you know what, (laughs) because, um, I'm a product of everything that's happened to me in this moment. So even the things that I wish hadn't happened have shaped me in some way. At least that's how I see it. Um, so I have to be thankful for who I am now at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I love that. It's a piece of gratitude. That's, that's mm-hmm. fantastic. And and it, and it speaks to your very empathetic nature, especially when you're talking about privilege. And you're like, you know what? There's... I am here for a reason. There's a reason why I am sitting in this couch with talking to you, talking about my experiences, because there's this whole life behind me that I experience, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's great. Um, man, that was great. Jamarco, uh, <laughs> this is the last question for you. Uh, right. Thank you very much. You've been gracious, very gracious with your time. And thank you. This, this was a joy and a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, so the last question I always ask, uh, to all the guests that come into modern manhood, um, what is the piece of advice that maybe you have had or you want to give out um, to the listeners or to any guy mm-hmm. that's listening to the show? 
The advice I would give that's helped me is that um, if you are a man, then everything you do is manly. That's that's something that's helped me, like, in terms of feeling more comfortable in my own skin, you know? Like, there's no... Your gender is an identity. It's not the way you act or the way you move, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. That's great. That is fantastic advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely so. something that... Uh, that all guys should really understand and to say that whoever if you're if you represent yourself as a man then you're a man That's yeah like, there's no just focus on yourself that's what i had <laughs> totally totally Jim, where can people um look for adam and eve oh uh, so adam and eve airs every other friday on at 5 30 p.m on cjsr 88.5 fm and you, so you can visit our website, which is adamantevecjsr.wordpress.com. Or you can check us out on Twitter and Facebook. It doesn't, we don't update our social media that much, but all our episodes <laughs> are there. So, <laughs> And um, can people find you on Twitter or on Instagram sure. or wherever? Yeah, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I don't use, I don't use it that much, but <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to like get more into it. So if I have more followers, maybe, maybe I can start tweeting go. more. So I'm at Jami underscore v i think that's it okay um and on instagram jammy period v um and that's jammy spelled g-i-a-m-m-i yeah san marco this is fantastic (laughs) this is a great great uh great talk with you this is uh really illuminating and thank you for the gift of like thank you for having me this is this i'm so happy i could so that's modern manhood for this week Thanks to Gianmarco Bisconti for making some time to chat with me on my couch and also giving us this gift of poetry um, that he did right at the end there. That was that was quite beautiful. You know, and I think he even got a chance to bond with my cat, which is always a nice touch. So that's, that's kind of a thing that happens uh, when somebody comes to my place to interview. You get to hang out with my cat, and she's pretty chill. <laughs> if you want to check out Adam and Eve, uh, it's airing on CJSR 88.5 in Edmonton on Fridays from 5.30pm to 6pm. I also put in a link uh, to check out all the old episodes as well too. It's well worth doing. All episodes of Modern Manhood can be found at modernmanhood.org and they are broadcasting on gradio.ca. On the next Modern Manhood, we are going pod to pod. We're going to chat with some of the awesome folks from the Masculinity Pod down in New York. It was a fun chat, so stay tuned for that. And we'll hope to see you next time on Modern Manhood, presented by Next Gen Men. <laughs>